Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift for a special edition. We're both on opposite ends of the world. I'm on the GC as usual, but I'm here with Aker Weisbeck. He's at home in Sweden, and you can see the jerseys behind him off the back of maybe the best season in Intermarche Circus Wanty's history, and one that will be hard to top. He's the performance manager there, and we'll get into a little bit of what that actually entails, what that means, as well as having been a director, sports director, at Team Sunwear back when they also won the Giro d'Italia in 2017, some of the best years in that team's history. And he's an interesting man to get on the podcast because he's gone from those highs of a Grand Tour success to now taking a team that bought the CCC license and then they brought some sort of cyclocross focus team across to now avoiding the relegation battle, which they did successfully, and moving into a new era in the next sort of triennium, hopefully for them. We'll ask him what his objectives are this season as well for Antomarche Sergoswanti. They've shortened the name a little bit, a few less syllables now. But as always, this show is brought to you by Zwift, the Zwift Hub in particular, available in North America, the UK, and Europe. The best value for money trainer on the market. That's the facts if you look it up. On any independent reviews for the price, $499 to get you going, get the cassette you need, got the setup guide, and there's plenty of Zwift New Year's events to help you with any New Year's resolutions you have, some fitness goals. Zwift has you covered in January, so it's one of the best times to jump in on Zwift. So go check out Zwift Hub through the link down below and maybe hop on Zwift. Aker, could you let us know your background in the sport? I know you're a writer, but your background in the sport, how you got into being a sports director in team management? Yes, um, I uh, I started cycling at a very young age. Uh, I come from the area of uh, Zaanstad, where also Nicky Terpstra, Kees Bol, Ramon Sinkeldam uh, come from. And um, I raced until I was 24, uh, 23 actually. I uh, got a knee injury at 21, and um, yeah, I, I, I quit in tw- when I was 23. I was still studying at the time, um, and the local club where uh, all these talents come from, um, DTS Sandam, they um, they needed an uh, an elite team, and they needed also a sport director to start it up, and uh, they asked me, and uh, I thought it was a uh, it was something I had my eyes on. I was always interested in that part of the of the sport already when I was a young cyclist. So uh, so actually, it, I took the opportunity and uh, and on an age when I was still could, could have raced myself, I was uh, entering the, the sport director's meeting. Um, but uh, no, I, yeah, and from then on, I did that five years. And uh, after one year, I asked uh, Marijn Zeeman, the current manager of, um, of uh, Jumbo Visma, to join me. And we did it together, four years together. Um, and then I moved to Sweden, and then I started working for a Swedish team, Team Cycle City, and that, uh, and from there I moved to Team Argo Shimano, which became later Sunweb and is now the current Team DSM. Uh, I was there seven years, and then I um, I uh, had one year in 2020 with the SSU Racing Academy, and then came the offer from. Um, uh, was a very successful year actually with SAU Racing Academy and then was talking to several teams. Uh, but then, um, yeah, I decided to join Intermarche and, um, yeah, then the last, uh, the, the, the world tour, uh, relegation battle started. 
Yeah, and the relegation battle almost dominated a lot of teams' focus for the last sort of year and a half, at least. Some teams only six months because they sort of forgot about it, but you guys were on top of it earlier. Do you think stopping cycling for yourself earlier and becoming a sports director or moving into that role younger helped you compared to the guys that have a long successful career and then retire at 38, 40 years old and then become a director? Yeah, I, th- I think the advantage for me was that. Um, I think that I'm, I'm, it, it is easier to relate to the young guys getting into the sport yeah. because they are often still, you know, they are not yet, yet ten years into the professional life. So you 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 understand better what's going on in their lives. You know, adjusting from being a full, uh, how do you say that, a semi-professional athlete into into an, into a person that has his whole life pretty much devoted to the sport. So I think that helped me. Um, yeah, and I think you are also uh, on on a younger age and and not living in the in the pro scene for so long. You're also, I think, a bit more open minded and willing to take take things in, new impressions, new new developments. So uh, so yeah, uh, as much as it also worked against me because not you know it's harder to find uh, the opportunities because uh, the the, yeah. the big names from the pro scene they often get the chances handed to them a, a lot easier after their career. Um, but I think that also makes uh, I think that also makes that you are, uh, yeah, you know, you, you you maybe put in more effort and 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 you have to really have to drive to be successful. It's kind of like Michael Jordan, one of the best basketball players ever. He's now in management, and it's been the opposite end of that spectrum. So I guess it's more how you. Hey, look at the Peloton. A lot of successful directors around the sport are not Tour de France GC winners or even Tour de France stage winners, or some of them even didn't even do the Tour de France. It's more you then sort of need to use your brain in the job. It doesn't matter how actually fast you went as a bike rider. So I think it, it does help. Like I've never been in the Peloton, so I don't know what that feels like, what that stress is like. I think it does help to some degree to know that psychological aspect a little bit more. But I think it is sometimes the guys who had to work harder to get there when they do get to World Tour in management or directors or whatever, they seem to be the most equipped to succeed once they do get the opportunity at a Bora, a Jumbo Visma or DSM or wherever. When you're at Sunweb, now DSM obviously, did the team objectives change throughout the years? Because they changed the team a lot during that period. There was the Degenkolb era, then the Dumoulin era. How did the team actually change when you were there and also your role changing within the team i think the first two three four years um i was working a lot with the sprint trains and also with the younger riders um and um i think that went hand in hand because actually in the the, the kittel day and years they these guys were still like 23 24 25 years old um so, so that was a that was a team in in development, and that was also our main focus. That 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 those were the riders we could afford. Uh, we couldn't afford any GC riders, uh, and of course, in that shadow, um, Tom Dumoulin developed, and uh, that, it it actually really helped him that 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 there was a sprint team focus because he had more freedom, but he he could also learn, you know the. The, the typical bunch riding positioning the the you know the, the the things that a lot of GC riders actually don't get to learn that much because they always are in the in the GC business but uh, yeah and that team um, developed I mean then the, um, I think first Marcel Kittel uh, left the team and uh, in 2015 uh, Dumoulin was emerging 
a lot faster than we anticipated because suddenly it was there in the Vuelta, uh, almost winning the Vuelta. Yeah. Um, and and that also um, that also meant that we transitioned more to a GC team. We always had sprinters, but the the the, the same focus that we had and the same dedication uh, to work with sprint trains that 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 went slowly out the door and. I mean, you can also see it the last couple of years. They've been really struggling getting the sprint trains to work in a good way. And yeah, uh, that is, um, it, it really shifted for the team. Do you think and, the convention... And my, and, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, no. My, and my role changed in that sense that when Tom Dumoulin emerged, I was I was yeah. getting the responsibility for the Grand Tours. So I was less focused on the classics. Uh, I did the Ardennes classics mostly. But then I, fo- I focused a lot on, on doing the races with Tom. Just touching on sprint trains, I noticed the Tour de France this year, there was not really a dominant lead-out train. Quickstep were, weren't as good as they were in 2021. FDJ, one of the teams that they do try a conventional lead-out train in the Giro, four guys setting up for DeMar. But there's been the rise of the one-man lead-out, for example, like Laporte or Turnison on the Champs-Élysées for Van Aert or Van Poppel for Bora. These guys don't... All these teams don't try to dominate the last three kilometers. Do you think that's a shift that will continue, or is it just because some teams are weaker at it at the moment and a Cipollini or Cavendish HCC Columbia style lead out train can still work, or we won't see it again? I, I think I think it's harder because what you see now is that it's not. I mean, there are uh, fifteen sprint trains, and uh, the timing. The positioning makes that that a lot of the the sprint trains burn their guys really early because it's already a long fight, especially through the France. Um, yeah. So, so is it is it is, are those days gone? No, but um, I think dominantly we will see eight out of ten sprints being more like what we see in the Tour de France, where it's where it's not really organized lead out anymore and it's really up to that last one or two guys that time it exactly right um and and i think that has got to do with the fact that so many teams uh embrace the sprint trains and and really worked on it and and then you get this then you have and it's a real battle i remember from the times when we were doing it with marcel kittel and john denkop it, it was often us against quickstep and then the other sprint trains, and then sometimes we had Lotto, but the other sprint trains were mainly focused on us. But now everybody's yeah. doing their own thing. They're not so focused on the other teams anymore, and 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 that you see. Yeah, so many teams have a lead out. Like Akaya has McClay, who's a good lead out man. Even sprints the world for himself. Got some top fives. There's almost eight teams, as you say, that have a dedicated professional lead out man or last man, like a single down one year or McClay. It would be interesting to see how someone like Case Bowl, if Cavendish ever does get announced at Astana, if Case Bowl goes there too, how he'll go as a full-time last man because that's a team that have to quickly develop that sort of expertise in a lead-out overnight for their like marquee signing. But you had success at Sunweb. You then, as you said, went to Seg. When you got a call from Entomarche, what was your initial reaction and what drew you to the job? Because you had to know it wasn't going to be contesting or competing for Grand Tour GC podium that year. So what drew you to it? Well, I mean, I think the the main factor was that there was performance-wise 
pretty much nothing really organized. They had one trainer, Freddy Feugel, a really good one, and he had to do it all by himself. Um, so I realized that there was a, a, a golden opportunity to build something from scratch. Um, so that was uh, one important thing. Um, but compared to, I had other offers, there were different teams. Um, it, it was a bit the outsider team because I was talking with also the, the management yeah. of uh, SAG because I had also one, one more year contract. So they also had to, you know, give their uh, go because if they would have said no, I would have stayed there. Um, but, you know, when we had the discussion uh, with, uh, with with them and I said, well, I, I, I think there is more possible with this team. And, and But yeah, there was a big risk that the team would would relegate but the, because in the winter of 2020 and we got the world tour license i think there wasn't a single person in the world that would said that uh intermarchial wanting a bear wouldn't relegate because on paper we had uh one of the weakest teams and we had also uh, the smallest budget and there was also not a, a new golden generation stepping up i think we from the young riders we only had uh Geo Simerman. so it was not a, it was not a dream uh, a, a, a dream setting but it was also an opportunity, and that's the way I saw it, that we could build something up. And, and when I talked to the management, I, I also got confidence. They really also wanted to go into a direction where it was more performance-driven. Um, so, yeah, in the end, I also uh, and I, and I also thought it was an honor because uh, the Belgium teams have always, I think, you know, I think that for me is the Champions League of cycling if, if you can get the chance to work for a Belgium team. So, for me, that was also... Um, something appealing but it was really about the fact that we could build something from um, from from scratch and, and and what i mean with that is the performance team because you know the, the, of course there were already sport directors and there was a was a team but um yeah there was a lot of responsibility and also freedom to to put my own stamp on it and by that do you mean the whole suite of performance culture because i remember in some of this year i was driving up to ingolasters in andorra up to the lake there i see taco on the flat bit just before the lake and then i see two three four more antimache rise in the vans ahead of them waiting for them were things like altitude cans which i think they were on before big targets common and or what, what sort of things do you mean when you're saying introducing a more performance driven culture now, I mean, before I signed with him, I, I talked with Frederik Vogeland, the, the trainer, and um, I asked him a couple of questions. And then my first question was, um, how do you make the lineups? And then he told me that one of the, the senior sport directors did it. And then I said, but are you involved in the process? And he wasn't. And, and how do you organize it? Yeah, it was pretty much month by month. And then I started to realize, okay, this is an area where we can improve on. You know, we work more with, work more with the plan. Uh, we get more trainers and we can build a performance uh, machinery then 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 we really can help these uh, these riders and and i think that was um when i started realizing that you know we could make a lot of progressions in all this uh, this, this area so they they did training camps but they did one training camp before the season and there was no real organized altitude camps they, i i think they did it one or twice with uh, um with martin but but it was not something that was you know, it was more and an, an something they they organized uh, when it was an opportunity, but it was not in the in the system. So, um, and and I was also surprised that Frederick was not involved in the in in, in making the uh, the selections because 
you know, I think the trainers also should be part of that, thanks to the sport directors. So, so there was a lot of opportunities to uh, to improve, and and that was also one of the big shifts I made directly that I worked with year plans instead of going month by month, and that was that was a bit of a fight in the first weeks, but it also made it better uh, on our organizational area to to work more in in the in the season, and also the riders were were happy with that because before that they were always trying to qualify to do the next race, yeah, so. They did their work for 80% and then they used the other 20% to just hang on and stay as long in the race as possible because then maybe they could do the next classic, which of course creates a system where riders are not being 100% dedicated to their job in the race or their role in the race. And that that, that was also a big driver. When I talked to the riders one by one, I, I could feel that it was a big factor, a stressful factor in the team. So when we could, that, could take that away and maybe narrow it down to three, four races, where there was a, a you know a, a selection uh, where we could pick uh, riders, uh, but the rest was secured. It it eased everybody, and everybody could really focus and grow much more in their role. And that's to be honest, one of those common complaints that I hear from the riders. They really don't like a two weeks' notice that they have to do X race, and they didn't even know they were doing it. And, and that makes sense. Like, how can you plan? your performance for a race on such short notice. Um, and, of course, you can't tell the riders for sure in December, okay, you don't have well to next year. Things change. It's a long time until next August. But it shouldn't be too hard to at least have a six-month plan and you can adjust it as well afterwards. But you, you come into Antimache, things improve a little bit. You, you get the win in the Giro with Taco. And then this year, the team just goes crazy, like 24 wins Two Giro stage wins, a Vuelta stage win with Menkes, two Tour de France, top 10 with Menkes, I think. And the crowning jewel was Binium at Genvevelhem. And at the same time as that, you'll find the relegation battle. So what I want to know is when did the relegation battle stop being a focus was it much earlier than i think was it before Kent Vavelhem? was Kent Vavelhem and shelter price the tipping point when you realized you were going to be okay because it was like 800 points or something or was it during that golden period sometime in april and may it was may and okay may we knew it because then the gap was about uh, three thousand points and um and yeah i mean you didn't you you, you know a little bit what you can get per month and then you look at the other teams that are in trouble. Pretty obvious that um, in May, I said to the riders, you know, this is not a point anymore. Congratulations, we're going to be in the world tour. And 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 to be honest, that is also I think one of the things that we did really good uh, was that every winter, also in twenty and also in um, uh, twenty one, leading up to the twenty two season, I I made a presentation and I made a meeting about the points because I I wanted to the riders to understand how does it work. What is our situation and what are our focus points? And I think when the riders understood that that I had a strategy for it, that there was a clear plan, and that if they would uh, follow also that plan and those focus points, uh, that that we could avoid it, and that we had a really good chance. And um, so I think that really made that we talked about it once in the winter. Then I talked about it one extra time in May when I could tell everybody, you know, it's finished. Uh, and then I, and I told, talked about it one more extra time in September when we're almost, you know, when we're fighting for the fifth, fourth place in the UCI standing. And I said, okay, now 
<laughs> you know, would be nice to finish in the top five uh, teams wise. So, uh, but that was uh, that was more um, in a very re- relaxed setting. But it took away the stress, and I think that is, um, you know, it <clears throat> it was a difficult subject, and I just didn't want it to come into the season as a, as, a, as a stress thing. Because in the end, you can talk about results and points what you want, but you, you need to really talk about how do you how do you get to the level that you are making the results, and 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 I think that is what we succeeded in very good. And that's exactly right. Like you need the riders. It's easy to say, oh, we need more points. One day races have more points. That's true, and yeah, like the system did give a lot of points to one-day races, but Binion won Han Vavelheim. Christoph won Shelter Price. Like, they're not just going there to farm points at some 1.1 races. And on Binion, how did that signing come about when he was from Delco, who have since folded? I know that recently Lefebvre said that Quickstep looked at Binion a little bit back in the day. How did the Binion signing come about? Was it because Delco was in trouble or did it start before then? know before because um you know jean francois the, the the ceo from the team he, he asked me two things one we need to be with the best 18 teams that's our number one priority because that you know we bought this license yeah. we made investments and and everything is hanging on that we stay in this world tour so that was the number one thing that was the number one priority but then he also said he said i, I don't think that we have any young Riders coming up. There is no intermarché, Monty Gobert generation. And when you have the smallest budget and you always have to buy riders, you know that is not a, situ- a good situation. That's a very bad situation because you know if you have to constantly hire good riders, you 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 really spend a lot more money. So, and I said to him after working with the team for four or five weeks and after the first training camp I went to Sean Vosloy and I said I think you have a problem because there is no new generation we have we have an old team uh, more than one of the third of the team is older than 34 years old and we had some riders you know we had a, a group of riders like Loic Vliegen I made Gent um, uh, Lorenzo Rota about 26-27 years old who, who, who did some decent results and and still could make a step but we really liked the new generation Gail Simon was the only one and then I, I gave him a list I, uh, I I gave him a list of riders and I said you know these are the riders I think if we make an effort are possible and these are the top you know the the, the talents that, that that we can bring in and we have to start now because if we don't do that then they were too late because what we could offer is a world tour team and a world tour program so, um, and on top of that list was Binyam because he was in Delco. Because, I mean, I cannot, we, you know, we cannot sign the big talents from Jumbo or Quickstep. They, they, they are not going to go to us. So, you know, you have to look at the category riders that can, can uh, make their situation better by joining us. Binyam was on the top of that list. And um, so in, uh, I think it was in March. I think in March and the February where I run into his manager and we talked with him and um, yeah, I said, you know, I said, he's with you. Uh, well, what is the situation there? Very interested. Um, yeah, and that he said, yeah, he's already contract for a couple of, a uh, couple of more years. So because I thought maybe he has a clause to, to move into a world to team when he gets an well, offer. So did I. That wasn't the case. Really? 
Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So he didn't have that. Uh, he, he didn't have that option. But and then a couple of weeks later, we heard because I mean we raced a lot in France and we have good contacts there. So then we heard that Delco was in trouble. So that then we took contact again and said, listen, um, what is the situation? And then it was already very serious. There were serious problems. So we uh, we, we we discussed with uh, Binyam. And uh, I think the only two teams that talked with him was us and uh, UA. And there were like eight teams interested. Uh, but yeah, I had prepared really well. I had a real good plan, step by step, year by year. Um, and I think we also hit the, the spots what was important for him. He wanted a familiar team because he spent most of the year away from his family, which is already very difficult for him. So he also wanted a team where he feel good. And the manager, uh, his manager had riders with us, so he was all, he could say uh, to Binyam, hey, listen, this is, if, if you want to have a familiar team, then this is the right team to go because I have experience with other riders there. Um, but of course, the offer from UAE, I mean, I think it was, I think it was two or three times higher than, than what we offered. Um, but like I said, we had a plan. And um, and Binyam is a really down to earth um, guy, and he's, he's, he's he wants to win races. And he was, you know, he had these points. He wants to do the finals. He wants to make results. He wants to grow step by step. Um, and 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 yeah, he wanted to be in a team where he could feel at home. So um, so that matched. And and yeah, actually from the beginning it was a really good connection. And when he also saw that what we promised, we delivered. Um, it became, um, you know, you you really he started to trust us, and uh, like I said, he is. Um, we have a good cooperation. Yeah. Well, so I I remember he signed that four year with Delco, which at the time made no sense that he would sign that. I thought without a clause that would at least allow him to be released if a World Tour team came along, because he already had results before twenty twenty one, like third in Trofeo de Guelia, which of course I mentioned the race a lot, but. It isn't the biggest race, but I think it was against Giacone or maybe Rolta. Maybe that was 2021. So I'm I'm really surprised to hear that. And it, it's interesting to hear, like, he chose the team because of the pathway, which, you know, it's clearly worked out. He <laughs> won a big classic like Hans Valham, Giro stage. I assume he's going to go to the Tour this year uh, where the first few stages in the Basque Country look, look pretty good for him too. And that's the next question I have, sort of mentioning the Tour de France. Relegation's out the window. You've got the three-year license, 23, 24, 25. You can just focus on results. But a lot of outgoing transfers, especially 2,000-point scorer and a race winner like Christoph Herman's out the door. He podiumed a monument. Jan Hirt gone. That's over 10 riders. I think over 10 riders coming in. Was that a choice? Do you trust that you have a system now that will take the new riders and get the same results and keep improving or is it actually that success breeds money those, those riders now want money because they've got good results and it's just a commercial reality that once they've got the good results you're now priced out of a lot of them no i think it's the commercial reality that um we perform really good we have uh, a, a bunch of riders that uh, almost all the riders uh perform a lot better that means that you also with contract renewals, you know, you you have to adjust, um, and and it's really hard. Uh, the 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 riders get really good offers, and and we cannot keep them all. So then you uh, you have to make choices, and and certain riders we could keep, and uh, yeah, we we lost a lot of quality uh, quality riders. Um, I, I I have to say that I hope that we are not in the same situation next year that we need to bring in ten plus new riders because that is what we really want to avoid we want to come into the more stable yeah. waters 
Um, so, but uh, yeah, this is the reality from two two successful years, and 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 um, yeah, our budget not 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 growing as fast as 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 the team um, performances. What are your goals for 2023? Do you target things as specific as winning a Tour de France stage, or are they more? process goals like a points target or is it a combination of top tens what is it a combination i mean we have a couple of really specific goals and the tour de france stage is uh is is, is a big one because uh, yeah, yeah it, it still hurts missing out on the ones this year um then we want to do also a, again a top 10 in a grand tour uh it will be hard to replicate four top tens in a grand tour like this year but we still want to be up there once uh, at least and um, and I think the big general factor is that we want to be consistently riding for the the, the podiums in the top fives in the classics and um, and because it's it's hard to say now that we automatically uh, our season our season is not good when we don't win a classic. I mean we we cannot say that we have to be humble. We have to put the hard work in. But if we are there consistently. And, and 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 we are up there in the top five in the top threes. I think uh, that, that is what we need to show to to show that we are establishing ourselves on the level that we want. And next to that, uh, in a more general way, I would say uh, we have the goal to be a, a stable top ten team in 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 the world two points ranking. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's it's like that. It's a combination of things. Yeah, and then maybe it's like a cycle, right? As you get more success, you maybe win a Tour de France stage this year or next year, then you become more competitive for sponsorship dollars. The budget can then go up a little bit. Then it's sort of that pattern as well. Similar to Quickstep. I assume Quickstep's budget with Sudar coming in is is healthier than it was seven, eight years ago. I guess you're on that path, which is a pretty exciting place to be, especially with the relegation battle over, some young, talented riders signed. And also I think you're now in a sweet spot where – Riders like a Lillian Carmichael are thinking, okay, I'm not, I'm not 35 yet. I can try and get a bit more out of myself before it's too late and go to a performance-driven culture team where I'll get leadership chances too. Because if you go somewhere like FTJ, which does have good performance management, they're getting their riders going pretty fast, going well, but maybe he doesn't get the chances there to go for a stage win in whatever major race. So I think you're in a good spot where you can't just hand over multiple millions of euro, you know, to X rider, this rider, but you are getting some riders really wanting to perform and maybe at a fair market value. Yeah, no, no, exactly. I mean, we offer opportunities and, and we give them the right weapons to uh, to perform. And that was also the, my goal from the beginning is if I could, could give them more or less the same weapons as, as the better teams, uh, then we cannot maybe give them the big uh, the, the the big salary, but we give opportunities. So that that, that that's also what the teams now recognize. Uh, the teams, what the riders recognize that they can have opportunities with us. And yeah, and I'm straightforward with them. I mean, we 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 don't pay the big salaries. I mean, we're not underpaying our riders, but um, but yeah, that and I think you know when you look back at our transfer season, uh, I think you know one important note is that our budget goes up. Uh, but we had to spend quite a lot of money also in the infrastructure because we were still riding the World Tour team program on on an, on a pro conti organization. We had yeah. simply way too less people uh, doing a hell of a lot of work. So so we also really be had to be disciplined and and work on the fundamental of the team, which is of course 
when you do such a good season and and and, and suddenly the, the the managers instead of coming to us in august july with the leftover riders now in may and april stand there with their top riders um is very tempting but i think we did it in the right way but then of course we maybe don't now don't meet the expectation of of, of, of the people making the big signings, but we try to be smart and we try to have, like you say, the riders that are finding the opportunities with us and are willing to um, to maybe look beyond the allure and, and, and the stardom of the big teams uh, and, and really are down to, you know, making the, the right step for the career. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see there are other riders like Mike Turnison who sort of fit into that role too where he's still in his 20s, and he can develop and probably still compete for classics, I assume, as a leader for Antomarche this year. Um, but the last question I had was about equipment because it's impossible for us on the podcast to know which equipment's the best. I know which teams are going fast on the time trial bikes. I know, like when you see Kung started going quicker when Lapierre brought out the new time trial bike and they promoted that. But are there differences between equipment? Just like basic stuff, like group step bike clothing helmet in world tour where it can actually change winning or losing between the teams is it closer to f1 on the road not just in time trial stages is the difference bigger than people think or is it actually it is a level playing field amongst all the teams no there are definitely differences and um and these also shift during the season i would almost say that in that sense it's it's like uh, formula one but but there is uh, I mean I I always approach it in a way that it's it's an accumulation of percentages that we can win and um, it, it's in many aspects of the bike I mean you can maybe have have a kilo uh, heavier bike but uh, maybe with the right wheel sets or the tires you can you can regain that loss um, but of course if you tick the more boxes you tick uh, the the better the effect and then. And that's also the limiting factor. You're also limited to the sponsors that you have. And um, I think that is also now, at, at least for us, we had to make some more performance-focused choices uh, rather than the best commercial, you know, the, the, the sponsor deal with the equipment that gave the best yeah. money. Um, so so there is the balance. And um, yes, it, it is really becoming more important now. And you see more and more. And it, it's exactly like you say. I mean, it's hard to rate our TT bike because, you know, we don't have any specialists. Uh, but when you have the specialists who, you know, are pretty much on the same level, then you maybe it comes more to the to the front to see if something really significant happens when they are put on a new uh, TT bike. But no, it is, it is getting much more important. I have to mention that, of course, you know, the, the Peloton is divided in, in, with, with the parts. You know, there is a group with Shimano, there is a group with SRAM, and there is a group with Campriolo. Uh, there is not – with that, you don't see a hell of a lot of difference. But most of the other parts, there there is quite some, some choices you can make. And and it's, it is also not only about the choices, and then it's also really about how you use them and, and, and how you work with them. And the more effort and time you invest in that, the more the more watts you find. Yeah, because you might actually have the quickest tires, but then if you run them at the wrong pressure or wrong pressure for certain races, they're no longer the quickest tire or paired with the wrong wheel set. The whole system is no longer faster. But yeah, like there are the big differences. And it's particularly prevalent in the TT. 
some riders, you know, maybe Bahrain, for example, on the TT bike, you can see, okay, if you put that guy on Quickstep or a Yumbo, Ineos, they're set up, he's going to fly. I mean, that's probably true for most riders, to be honest, in the TT if they go to those teams. But it, it is interesting to hear that on the road, it also makes a big difference. So probably in also in Paru Bay where you see teams starting to do funky stuff like when DSM were thinking about doing those like inflating tyres like on the margins that it might make a difference too but thanks very much Aika for the interview I think it was really interesting and good luck for the rest of the season maybe we'll check in with you if you're in a good mood after the Tour de France if you're in a Tour de France stage I'll book you in for that now so best of luck for the season and thanks for coming on Lantern Roof Cycling Podcast All right, thank you for having me